I stopped taking weed edibles because they'd always kick in before I thought my daughter was asleep already. And whenever I realized that my daughter was still up, I'd feel like a complete moron trying to answer my daughter's super deep questions on it that were keeping her up in the first place, you know, such as, so daddy, if God created the universe, then who created God? And five million years later, I managed to come up with God went back in time in a time machine made by Elon Musk. And my daughter says, that's a really convincing daddy. Thanks for making me an atheist at four. And this is comedy record 106. Killer dead set. Did you know 420 Earth Day for potheads? Because it's an herb that grew wild around King Solomon's grave. It's also Hitler's birthday. Total bummer, right man? I haven't been this let down since I learned how Sylvester Stallone snuck Mel Gibson into Expendables 3. And this is my impersonation of Ziggy Marley being interviewed by High Times Magazine. Reporter says, Ziggy, your dad had eight kids, but doesn't excessive ganja use drain your ball blaster dry? And Ziggy Marley says, fake news, man. Killer dead set record. Holla! Thank you! Very much! Shaggy Sheep Test. Facebook wants to root out bad actors on its site. Fine. Then Goodwill Hoodie at Facebook, a.k.a. Zitface Zook, should start with forcing deadheads to take lie detector tests to figure out whether they're fake news hippies or not. Bernie Sanders, good senator or bad? Good. Wrong. Vermont's state motto should be changed from the green state to CBD oil only. Bernie Sanders couldn't even make Vermont great for potheads on vacation. Ithaca College, good school or bad? Good. Wrong. Ithaca is Cornell's retarded next door neighbor who's got 10,000 burnouts stuck in its head. Grateful Dead Mass, good or bad? Good. Wrong. Suicide rates among kids post-COVID. Strip your dancing bear mask of all campy appeal whatsoever far from centered. Yogi, baby boomer grandparents who went to Woodstock but never bothered to visit the Grand Canyon after retiring to Scottsdale, Arizona 10 years ago. Good hippie or bad hippie? Good, wrong. Boomer in this instance is a fake news hippie. I don't care if my dad's Bob Dylan radio station on Pandora suggests otherwise. Force vax mandates, good or bad, good, wrong. Then again, 
You had no problem with the merry pranksters spiking people's drinks with acid without their consent. So, as Hillary Hammertime Cankles would say, what difference does it make? Holla! Thank you! Very much! We should abolish security pat-downs at Grateful Dead cover band shows because frisking lost-in-time deadheads for drugs is culturally biased against Bernie bros who graduated from the University of Vermont. Bro, Capitol Police guy at the Capitol Theater pats me down before a show and takes out my Ziploc bag with my soul weed edible in it and says, what's this? I said, melatonin gummies in case I want to sleep off a bad trip post-COVID damage done. Man, security guy says, it's not melatonin. Besides, you don't have to worry about that in New York State anymore. I fire back with, then why are you giving me a fake news panic attack about it? As if the weed edible I dropped prior didn't already unmask my pothead eyes. Holla! Killer Dead said in the house, Thank you very much! I hate deadheads who act like they're on a first name basis with the band. Jerry shouldn't have kept touring after his drug-induced coma. Bobby won his battle against dyslexia through visions of becoming Tom Cruise of the steel guitar during the acid test in Palo Alto. Giving up drinking has done wonders for Phil's complexion. Phil no longer looks like he's been dropped in a vat of acid like the Toxic Avenger. Phil is modeling skin products for Korean Vogue now called Sunshine Booming. Or is the campaign on Instagram called Face Off with Bukowski during his drying out years in San Pedro? I forget, man. Killer. Dead set. Shines on. Holla. Thank you. Very much. Deadhead girls are humorless bores too. A girl taps me on my shoulder from behind, yet it was more of a friendly grope, and she says, you're tall. Two seconds later, she's shaking her ass in my general direction, bumps up next to me and says, you're six feet tall, four inches, right? I said, correct. It's too bad Antifa doesn't burn bras, or else I'd have a bird's eye view of your flying saucer tits. She spun off to a safe space where the deadhead name droppers never stop. So anywhere outside of my standing on the moon plane of existence, really. As I thought two seconds later, I'd rather be at home with my record player and Alexa than with you. (laughs) You fake news, (laughs) slutty prude. (laughs) First set was more uneven than chief happiness officer's for CNN these days. During intermission, I strike up a conversation with a deadhead from Long Island who did so much name dropping, I'm surprised he didn't cite John Mayer's hairstylist. I still can't get enough 
of social distancing, especially among name-dropping deadheads who never stop, especially from Yenta Breath Country in Long Island, no less, who act as if their concert adventures are the greatest stories ever told, despite them being punch-free musings from another unfunny-sounding Paul Reiser. What a buzzkill-laden trip this has been. The flirtation conductor coming up around the bend. Hear my killer dead set train coming. Holla! Jimmy lives. Thank you very much. By forsaking flirting, we're cheating ourselves of a richer life to, to tap into for more joy spewing tomorrows. At least, that's what I'm teaching my son today, as we near close to ending his homeschooling apprenticeship. While I stress the importance of flirting power, but why does flirting power matter? Because sometimes, loving the one you're with isn't enough. Screw Stephen Stills. Loving the one you're with is a whole lot easier in 1970 when you're able to Forsake condoms for silky smooth lining instead of having to settle for plastic covered seats. At the same time, my son is only five and hasn't started kindergarten yet. And I haven't even joked about sending my son to junior high during the post Me Too era with a lawyer on his person at all times to hand out pre-poundage consent forms. But I never think it's early enough to get your kids into flirtation meditation. But what is flirtation meditation exactly? And since when is small talk at the bar considered fantasy material to get off your mind anytime? Similar to Magic Johnson visualizing what no look passes he turned heads with. We're running the Showtime Lakers at the form on the fast break. Flirtation meditation also helps you get into the mindset of picturing what scoring and bowling means to you. That's done with the intent of being the main floor general, driving force of your life. Instead of remaining a starless scrub on the bench who just goes through the motions of life like a passive beating down dog who only eats whatever scraps he's lucky to get thrown is perpetual, stuck in shit, down or away. My biggest regret growing up was letting my father bully me into disinviting my dear old friend Coop from attending a Monley Crew concert during the Dr. Feelgood tour because he deemed my new friend Ari as a more deserving choice. I don't remember the reason why Pops pulled an Indian giver move at the last minute. I still wasn't fully aware of him being a narcissistic prick <laughs> from head to toe, but it might have been because Coop was the fat kid and Ari wasn't. I don't know. All I do know is that I sucked out much more than my dad for not sticking up for my friend by allowing my dad to bully me into bringing my new friend Ari to the cons instead. Another huge regret was letting my father bully me and to selling all my basketball rookie cards to use as drinking money in Cancun during spring break my senior year in high school without pushing back 
at forsaking my age of innocence for pass out money on the booze cruise. <laughs> Understand, collecting basketball cards was a major labor of love for me as a kid to the point where I somehow was able to amass enough loose change from my father's change dish to afford almost every rookie card of those who played in the original Dream Team. Those cards being Patrick Ewing, Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, and John Stockton. But Dad was paying for my trip to Cancun. So how much leverage did I really have at the time? Could I threaten to burn my bar mitzvah photo album if I refused? Still, in retrospect, I'm the one responsible for allowing my dad to push me into selling my basketball cards without ever taking the time to question whether passing out on a booze cruise off the coast of Cancun was more important than my cherished basketball card collection. It gave me prideful ownership of my own. So in life, don't always be so willing to let others map out what moves you should make. Nobody remembers the king who financed Columbus's expedition into uncharted waters. But history sure as shit remembers who the fuck Christopher Columbus was. Christopher Columbus was the original OG New Life commander. And nobody could take that away from me. Who gave birth to the rebranded indigenous day motherfuckers. So what does bequeathing any sense of free will over to your dad have to do with flirtation power and being a shallow, spineless friend with zero sense of loyalty who's already moved on to the next best thing have to do with Christopher Columbus discovering the land of Fats Domino, Mickey Mantle, and John Hughes comedies again. Easy. Christopher Columbus refused to settle for what shit sandwich his superiors insisted he be content eating, but ever daring to flirt with major dream changes of his own making to make on his own, his way, all the way. Sinatra lives before Columbus was born. Holla! Thank you very much. Christopher Columbus flirted with change and made change his booty call, muse, and go-to top bitch to plow for deeper, unforeseen treasures never dreamed imaginable before. In short, Columbus allowed himself the freedom to dream of more adventurous, conquest-heavy, freedom-favoring tomorrows before taking such courageous corrective action to live in order to avoid another subservient gun-shy die a thousand deaths existence before you die loving the one you're with wasn't enough for Columbus and shouldn't be enough for you either unless you're the type who actually enjoys going on Extra long walks with your significant other 10 years into your marriage already. Pigpen, the unofficial leader of the Grateful Dead, an honorary member of the Hells Angels during the late 60s, who looked like Captain Morgan and the Sons of Anarchy had a baby, knew a thing or two about the importance of flirtation power. Pigpen was also a powerful harpist, soul-fused keyboardist, and blues Rap singer extraordinaire who had a summer fling with the gypsy queen of ramshackle soul, Janis Joplin. 
It was 1967 at the Winterland Ballroom in San Francisco, a converted ice rink converted into a Jamrock Palace paradise, where Dickie Betts from the Allman Brothers jammed out with Dwayne Allman with ferocious fluidity into uncharted, previously unexplored horizons as endless odes to spacious, soul-piercing blue skies in the Stratocaster filled the air when Jimmy and Santana were making endlessly beautifying A-plus atmospheric space-hurling blues rock of their own. But on this night, Pigpen turned on his love light to the crowd when he encouraged the gun-shy deadhead stoners to snap out of their stoner-stuck funk when he bellowed with big man flirtation powerees. Get your hands out of your pocket Shake your love maker and find somebody to love so you won't go home again lonely tonight. Love the one you're with, that being yourself for life. Self-love rules. And love the one you're with, that being yourself for life. By not letting that pretty girl with the rings in her fingers and bells in her shoes pass along by without saying more than hi. In other words, get it while you can, you burnout bitches. Janice did. Holla! Flirtation power is in your hands. So don't squander it all just to trip face on tour with the band. And that's why Pigpen, badgering deadheads into acting like more cocksure conquistadors for change is the greatest flirting conductor story ever told. Shell, shocked, snappy, killer, dead set, rolls on. Holla! Robert Hunter lives. Thank you very much. Wine coolers. Jello shots and reluctant repeat sips from your first can of Budweiser help melt teen shyness away. But pet snapping turtles aren't ninth graders in junior high who haven't gotten into the puberty party yet either. At this point, Matilda, a 12-year-old entrepreneur and inventor of a suction-sticking party ball strobe light machine called Party Magic, was willing to blow some of her Kickstarter startup money on a past-life regression consultation with an animal communicator at a nearby crystal shop in Richfield, Connecticut to get her new pet snapping turtle Snappy to come out of his shell already because changing his name from Waxy to Snappy wasn't helping. More than anything, Matola went into boogie board in Australia, her mama's home country along Mother's Beach, 30 minutes north of Melbourne, for her parents' 10-year anniversary. Yet, she didn't feel safe in those jellyfish-infested waters without a trustworthy snapping turtle toward up attacks by her side, knowing their preference for scarfing up electric purple haze stingers. The 70-something, bushy-haired, frumpy, shoal-strangled, Sedona sun-wrinkled transplant, animal communicator, talks with toads, lounged out in her cubby-sized room office within a crystal shop in nearby Richfield, Connecticut. 
and takes off her bifocal glasses to examine Snappy the turtle more closely, who Matilda reveals hiding her old beat-up backpack, knowing his tendency to fart uncontrollably, especially around strangers, which she considered a reason for why Snappy the turtle's head was hid in perpetual shame so often. Which contrasts her younger brother, Arthur Morrison Cornbluth, because to this day, we still don't know what his farts sound like. Talks with Toad says, Matilda, over the phone you said Snappy won't come out of his shell around strangers. Matilda says, I've offered him lobster rolls from Stu Leonard's, Smoke Nova from Us and Daughters, bought him the Tony Robbins audiobook box set, which wasn't cheap either, so I'm running out of options here. Our first Cornbluth family vacation to Australia is tomorrow, and I don't know what to do because Snappy is my second line of defense against all those jellyfish in Australia after the jellyfish nets, which aren't even available in the beaches in Bondi. And that's where all the serious boogie board action happens anyway. My parents wanted to get married in Australia, where my mom is originally from. Yeah, grandma shot it down. She calls my dad and says, Australia is a very long flight from New York, Scoops, and your father doesn't love you that much. Then my dad made a compromise with my mom and says, if we have a boy one day, babe, instead of hiring a rabbi, for the kid's circumcision, we'll hire Crocodile Dundee. Just so we could hear a room full of Jews say, now that's a knife, you can chop it all off with that thing. Talks with toads, spits out a deep, weighty laugh, opening up her throat chakra more than any downward dog pose ever could and says, does Snappy ever come out of a shell around your daddy? Or does he get intimidated by larger-than-life comedians too? I saw your dad's performance at the Montreal Comedy Festival on YouTube and coughed up a lung in the process. He made such a strong, funny man impression the last time your family dropped by the crystal shop. And I don't care for most stand-up comedy these days. Plus, how creepy is the comic Anthony Jeselnik knowing that he considers psychic surveys and how many missing children they've seen through their care cards as being the height of God-loving hilarity today? Matilla says, in Anthony Jocelyn's defense, God commands his chosen people to forsake the Council of Psychics in Deuteronomy. But my dad told me it was kosher to make an exception in Snappy, the turtle's case. Talks with toads, does her best to shrug off a smart-ass Jewess rubbing God's law in her face with such effortless fluency and decides to plow forward with her past life regression reading. For Snappy the Turtle. So, she can get back to watching some bestiality, horse on man porn on her lunch break, which now can't come soon enough. Talks to Toads, grabs a sapphire crystal from a cramped, unorganized drawer, representing the entire kitchen sink of healing, past life reading gemstones, known to mankind, and places it on Snappy the Turtle's shell. Talks with Toads says, I see a deadhead at Giant Stadium. In a soup truck RV called Terrapin Soup, blowing high-grade $75 an eighth weed into Snappy the Turtle's face again and again. It's the live version of Scarlet Begonias from Cornell 77 Blast on a tape deck in the background. I stopped going to shows after I stopped smoking weed myself. Matilda says, after my second birthday, my dad took me to a dead show in Bethel Woods in upstate New York. I pointed at 
I think they're blocking Deadhead, sucking down a nitrous balloon, and said birthday. And my dad says, no, burnout day. Talks with Toads, unleashes another full-throaty laugh again and says, wait a minute. No, he can't be. Matilda's interest in Talks with Toads, past life regression reading has reached peak interest and says, what do you see now? Is the deadhead owner feeding Snappy the turtle's head with a sheet of acid or what? Talks with Toads, takes a deep breath, doing her best to conceal her startled state as she pulls back her long, tangly gray hair and utters in a whispery, barely audible tone. The deadhead owner is serving Snappy the turtle's family for dinner. Matilda jumps out of her chair in a bewildered state of disgust and yells, I thought deadheads ate grilled cheese sandwiches after dead shows when they got the munchies. Talks with Toad says, munchies don't happen when you're on four tabs of acid, dear. Hold on, I see a line of deadheads around the parking lot in Giant Stadium waiting for this terrapin turtle soup truck to serve bowls of turtle soup to cure more endless bad trips on Herculean amounts of acid. The Merry Pranksters used to spike garbage cans full of fruit punch with acid during three-hour dead jam sessions back in the day before you tripped over shit throughout the cable car line streets of San Francisco. Eventually, the college dropout hippies who weren't banking on replacing Santana anytime soon became howling, starved lunatics left with no other choice but to eat stray cats behind the dumpster at Mushu York's. Soon after, a famed chef from New Orleans, Gumbo Greg, who went on to become the executive chef at the Philly Club for years before opening his own restaurants in North Beach, Chowder Penice gave Jerry Garcia the idea of serving one of his freaked out tripping groupies some turtle soup in their house on Haight-Ashbury to cure her bad trip. After doing the same for Dr. John during Jazz Fest, once after he crawled himself up into a ball on stage, thinking he turned into a psychedelic night-tripping crawfish. Crawfish. You know, shrimp with more personality. Similar to John Mayer teaming up with the Grateful Dead and company, injecting Scruffy Smooth with a dose of much-needed personality. Snappy the Turtle finally snaps out of his shell and yells, Thanks for the flashback, bitch. Killer. Dead set. You're welcome. Holla! Jerry and Robert Hunter forevermore. And Pigpen, the unofficial badass leader of the band. And for getting it while you can. Holla! Janice lives. Thank you! Very much.